Hi there, it's Ed here with a short message before we start the pod this week. Did you know that our most informed investors get insights, articles and investment ideas from Tom, me and the team sent directly to them via email and it is completely free. You can join them. Just subscribe at fidelity.co.uk slash newsletters. Hello and welcome to the Personal Investor Podcast. I'm Ed Monk. Today on the show, are ISAs due a makeover? They are the go-to way to invest tax efficiently, but there are calls for the government to overhaul the system. What could be on the agenda when the Chancellor announces his financial plans next month? That's our focus today. If you enjoy the show, please rate us, share us or leave a comment wherever you get your podcasts. Reports are emerging that there will be an overhaul of the regime for ISAs when the government issues its autumn statement next month. Current rules allow adults to save as much as £20,000 into ISAs each financial year. But underneath that headline allowance, there are multiple options for where to save and intricate rules for how each ISA offering works. In a period when the government has very little room for tax giveaways, could tweaks to the system for savings be a way for it to improve its financial offer to families? To answer that, I'm joined by Tom Stevenson, Investment Director here at Fidelity. Um, First of all, Tom, before we get into the specific measures that might arrive next month in the autumn statement, um, why don't we answer this question about why we have a system for tax-efficient savings? Why does the government offer tax breaks for savers and investors? Well, I mean, briefly, because they want to encourage people to save uh, in the long term. And uh, why do they want to do that? Well, I mean, cynically, because in, in the end, it costs the government less in the long run. Mm-hmm. They are, they're, they're working on the assumption that if people don't save, uh, put money aside um, for uh, for their later years, then they're more likely to fall back on the state and ultimately that's going to cost the taxpayer money. So uh, it's to encourage people to save. Yeah, indeed, because yeah, people's financial security is, is good for the collective, isn't it? Because of reliance on benefits, health systems, all the rest of it. Uh, you can imagine why that's a, a benefit for the public. Yeah, government. and there's there's obviously an upfront cost to the to the, to the government because there's a there's a tax break uh, upfront, but uh, in the long run, it, it probably works out cheaper for them to do it that way. Indeed, exactly. Well, okay, let's look at some of the uh, of these measures that have been reported. Tom, um, we should say here that these are really just press reports. Um, and some of them actually just sort of wish lists from sort of industry operators. We're going we're gonna to look at some of them. Um, so there's no guarantee that any of it will happen. But, you know, leaks always happen ahead of autumn statements and budgets. Um, so with that said, uh, the first change that we'll look at is a, a, an idea that we would be allowed to uh, hold both cash savings and investments within one single ISA. Now, at the moment, you need to open a cash ISA if you want to save in cash, and you need to open an investment ISA if you want to invest in an ISA. Um, And obviously, that might be with completely different companies. So what do you make of this change to make it one single ISA? Well, I mean, I think this is quite an easy one. You're warming warming me up with an easy one. I mean, it it sounds pretty obvious, doesn't it? I mean, I can't really see... Uh, the point in in forcing people to have two two separate ISAs for for cash and savings, there is obviously a benefit to uh, to the investor because it 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 allows you to well a benefit and actually a, a disbenefit. Um, it it allows you to move easily between cash and investments. I guess the uh, the danger is that uh, that investors will move out of 
uh, investments investments into cash yeah. and then not go back into investments because that's human yeah. nature. So I think that 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 is that is a, that is a risk. Um, but in terms of um, the flexibility that it, it enables you to move between the two, I think that has to be a good thing. Yeah, I mean flexibility and, and ease, I suppose, are the, are the two big wins from a change like that. Look, it, it wouldn't expand what you can hold in ISAs, and actually, it wouldn't it wouldn't actually add anything that you can't already do. You could move your cash ISAs into investments and vice versa. But the process is a little bit cumbersome and you have to ensure you do it sort of correctly in order to keep your tax efficient status the whole way through. Um, but it is it is possible to do that. Now, I, I think in, in deciding whether to make a change like that, one of the things the Treasury would think about is the sort of the impact on the market for the provision of, of both cash ices and, and investment ices. Now, this risk being a little bit sort of inside baseball, but <laughs> I, I was thinking about this. And if you think about the where you can get a cash icer these days, you've got, you know, all the banks, big and small, building societies, credit unions, savings providers of various kinds, lots of competition over there. If you look at investment ices, maybe not as many providers, but a healthy number of investing platforms, um, all sorts of places, you know, apps, all sorts of places offering investment ISAs. Now, the number of companies offering both right now is actually much, much smaller. So you've got the big banks will do that. Mm. If they've got, you know, investment arms or, or stock brokerage arms, they'll do that. One investing platform allows you to do that. But that's about it. Now, if the government were to bring about, you know, one ISA, you know, one single ISA, Clearly, the companies doing that would would be at some sort of competitive advantage. Um, They'd probably be joined by some other large companies that have the the ability to invest to to offer that capability. But some of those smaller providers may find that they're sort of left out in the cold. And you might actually get less competition in the provision of of ISAs. You know, rates might be not quite as good for these giant providers of all things. Um, it's just something to think about. And it's the kind of thing that probably the Treasury is thinking about when it makes a change like that. Yeah, I, I guess that 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 is a possibility. Um, I mean, there are a lot of ifs and buts in, the, in that analysis, aren't mm. there? I mean, we simply don't know what would happen um, if that if that change were to be made. It feels to me like the, 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 the benefits of the simplification would outweigh those benefits potential um, negatives yeah um, and and I think that you know the, the simplification is an important point to, to sort of dwell on because I think that you know for many people it's a reason it's a reason not to take advantage of this tax pay because yeah. it's just a bit confusing and a bit complicated and so people kind of don't bother I mean already you can see the split between cash ices and stocks and shares ices it's yeah. it's I mean, it's it, it, it's actually changed over the last 15 years or so um, in favour of stocks and shares ISAs. More people are, are doing them now, but it's still two thirds of the money in ISAs is in cash ISAs. Yeah. And I think that's probably, you know, well, one reason is that people just like the security of having their money in cash. Yeah. But I think, I guess another reason is that they're just, they're probably unaware even that a stocks and shares ISA exists. I mean, they just, for, for many people, an ISA is... A bank account. Yeah, yeah, and it, and you're right. You know, it, there's a lot of uh, you know inertia is a powerful thing, and and if people have to overcome hurdles of admin of of you know suddenly dealing with like a stockbroker company, mm. I mean that that can be a big be off putting for some. Yeah, people, it can be yeah. off putting, and so mm. yeah, that might be um, one of the reasons or a motivation for making a change like that. Um, okay, let's move on for now, Tom. Um, so the next change that has been discussed. 
um, that this is interesting. I mean, this would be a big change. Uh, we should probably say that um, the reports so far say that this is a, an early stage, which probably means the chances of it happening are, are sort of lower. Mm. But it would be interesting. Okay, and this is the idea that the government would provide a dedicated ISA allowance that's just for UK investments, or certainly investments that the government thinks uh, are important for the overall sort of health of the, the British economy. Now, that could be done in a number of ways. They could provide extra ISA allowance specifically for UK investments, or you know, a more pessimistic idea might be that um, they carve out some of the existing £20,000 allowance and, and make investors use that for for. for for British investments. Um, it raises various questions, doesn't it, an idea like that? Because uh, there would be some considerations in that if you were an investor. Yeah, I, I can see why the government would be considering uh, this because, you know, on, on the face of it, it, it would make it more attractive for uh, companies to list in the UK. And obviously we've seen um, we've seen a number of companies which you might have expected to list in the UK choosing to list uh, elsewhere. And uh, and this change might, at the margin, make it more attractive, though it would provide an, an added or an easier source of um, funding for, for those companies. I think I'm a bit sceptical about it, to, to be honest. I think that, you know, one of the, one, one of the reasons I'm sceptical is that um, if how do you define a British company? If you define mm. it as a as a company that's listed on the UK stock market, well, you know, as we know, the UK stock market is a very international market, and actually, you'll probably be um, uh, subsidising or encouraging people to invest in essentially multinational companies, yeah. not necessarily a benefit. Who are operating to, in to, overseas territories? Yeah, and, yeah, not a, not necessarily a benefit to the UK economy. Uh, it, itself. I also think that you know there's a risk here that it encourages people to 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 do the wrong thing because if, if you like the the sort of the uh, incentive tail is wagging the investment dog here that you are yeah. encouraging people to invest in 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 a specific market and in in our case it's our home market which encourages home bias which you know as we've discussed before is 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 potentially a uh, uh, not an advantageous thing for investors. Yeah, yeah, it kind of depends on what what if we assume that this would what, you know is on the table in terms of of what the treasury is thinking about. They could, as you say, just just advantage you know companies listed in in the UK with their shares on the stock market here or or their bonds listed in London, um, and that would that would generally just improve the corporate environment, wouldn't it, of the UK, make it more attractive to list here, as you say. Uh, or they could be more specific and say, well, actually, we want uh, companies that are more directed at economic growth here domestically. Um, but we already have tax breaks in the system, don't we, for for those kinds of companies. Now, it might not be for everyday investors, but um, we have things like uh, VCTs, mm -hmm. Venture Capital Trusts. We have EIS, Enterprise Investment Schemes. They are both aimed at early stage companies, yep. um, but they are also aimed at investors who are you know, in the jargon sophisticated mm -hmm. and who probably have lots of money um, can be sort of relied upon to fend for themselves from a kind of risk point of view um, now whether you want to you know uh, urge the proverbial mrs miggins to to put their their money into those things as well is a um, mm -hmm. is, is a different question yeah and, pro and and probably not i mean i think you know it's it's um uh, yeah, I mean the thing about uh, you know the, those schemes, the VCTs and the EISs, is they are 
they are much riskier and and the people that go into them need to go into them with their eyes open knowing that there is the potential for loss and and there are very significant tax breaks attached to yeah. them to compensate sophisticated investors for that but it's not an everyday investment no and and of course from 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 an investor's point of view um you know say there was another i don't know another 5000 pounds on top of everything else that you could put just into uk investments now that is going to be maybe of a great advantage to someone with lots of assets because they would say, well, I'll use my, you know, I can use that £5,000 for my UK investments. And actually in my overall investment mix, which is much larger than that, that's an appropriate allocation. Yeah. But, you know, for, for, for smaller investors, it could lead to people being skewed too much to the UK. There is a problem of home bias in most markets, but here in the UK in particular, mm-hmm. overexposure to the home market. Um, and this would only encourage that, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, it, w- it would. I mean, th- there is there is form here. I mean, if you go back to the old um, PEP, the old uh, personal equity plan, which I think is what PEP stands for. It's yeah. been so long since I've talked about PEPs. I forgot. Yeah. Anyway, you know what I mean. The precursor to to, to an ISA, there, were, there, there was an, an, an element of, of UK investment uh, at the outset w- with them. So th- it has been done before. So it's not inconceivable that they'll consider this, but it feels a bit unlikely to me. And, and, and it, again, there's, there's it, the government is looking at these sorts of things actually in, a, uh, in, in connection to pensions and what pension funds... Uh, how they invest their these very very large pension funds there's been lots and lots of talk and discussion in industry um about government trying to you know force pension companies to invest in assets which the government considers to be important for the sort of growth of the uk a lot of pension funds have said well hey look we have we have one job and that is to you know invest sensibly for our for our members and so we don't want to do this you know and and i i think that Probably there would be resistance, you know, for for or, or the arguments against a change like that are, are, are similar, aren't they? That- yeah, I think so. And I think philosophically, I would agree with them. I think you know that 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 you know you have to ask what is, you know what's the government's role in this? Is it their place to be telling people or encouraging them to invest in a certain way? Yeah. And I think that when you start when you start interfering with the the natural um order of things if you like in in that regard then you get unforeseen consequences and there will almost certainly be unexpected consequences attached to this yeah and 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 it it risks confusing what the aim of this of of the tax rate or the savings regime actually is you know we spoke at the start about that there's a good reason to incentivize people to save for their own financial security if you then you're confusing that with this message around you know boosting british businesses or the corporate environment or what have you you could run into a situation where there's two aims actually run. Well, there's a conflict. Yeah, yeah, they potentially mm. could conflict. You know, if if the mm. UK market tanks uniquely amongst global markets, mm. and you've just encouraged ordinary people to put all their money into the British market, then yeah. that's a problem. Well, and indeed, if you just you know if you just look back over the last uh, fifteen uh, years, you know, uh, if you had encouraged people to invest in the UK market. Uh, in this way, you would essentially have been encouraging them to to invest in a in a serially underperforming market, yeah. Compared to say the U.S. market, indeed. indeed. Okay, well, um, let's move on to uh, the next rumor, shall we, Tom? <laughs> um, and it is it is this: uh, there has been talk of loosening the rules for lifetime ISAs. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
Lifetime ICES, as probably listeners know, can be opened by anyone aged 18 to 40. You can save up to £4,000 a year and then you get a 25% bonus of whatever you've saved added on top. You can contribute until age 50 and then uh, you can withdraw money to use in the purchase of a first home up to the value of £450,000 or after the age of 60. So lots of rules here. Nice and simple, isn't it? Nice and simple. Um, and if you withdraw your money outside of those circumstances, a 25% tax charge is applied to that. Now, you and I have spoken, Tom, before about uh, your experience with ISIS, or actually your uh, children's experience with ISIS. And they certainly can work within those narrow you know, guidelines that I've outlined there. Um, but some people are falling foul of the rules. Um, so... Could that change? Yeah, so I mean, we've talked about this before, and 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 I am, you know, I'm quite a big fan of the lifetime ISA because uh, of the way in which it has uh, enabled my children to to get on the property ladder. And yeah. I think, you know, it has been. It's a, it, it, in, if you if you've got that specific aim, um, and you understand the limitations, um, uh, and there are limitations. You know, certainly a relevant one if you're if you happen to live in in London is the is the limit on the on the amount yeah. that you can spend? Maybe we'll come back to that. But um, so I'm, I am a big fan of uh, li- lifetime ices. But you, uh, I think I think the charge that you mentioned there, the twenty five percent charge, if you don't happen to be able to use it as you intended to use it, yeah. is really it's a, big a big problem. It's 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 onerous um, because it's not just clawing back the money which the government has given you as a as a, as a bonus from the taxpayer uh, which would be reasonable if you chose not to use it in the way that it was designed but because it's 25% on the total amount uh, invested it actually it's actually if you think about it, if you think that you you put in 80 pounds to get 100 pounds which is what the 25% uplift gives you and then you have to give 25 pounds back well it's 25 pounds on the 80 that you've put in which actually is just over 30% so you're actually paying back some of yeah. the money that you've put in yourself which just seems completely wrong uh, and, and a real sickener if you you know if you're if you're saving to say buy a hat to buy a house and you know whatever reasons life gets in the way you can't do it as intended mm. And suddenly all that money, which is really, really difficult to save anyway, the government's taking not just the money that it's given you as a bonus, but some of your money that yeah. you actually stowed away. That's a, that's a real signal. And, and it relates to this, this, this limit on the, on, the, on the property price that you can, that you can use for, with lifetime ISIS. So £450,000 is, is, is the limit for homes using lifetime ISA money. Now, I remember this, so this that limit has stayed the same since 2017. Yeah. And I remember when lifetime ices were launched, and people said, "That's a lot, isn't it? You know, 450,000 pounds for your first home is a crazy large amount of money." Mm-hmm. And and it is. And probably back then, the only people that were really affected by it were people buying in, um, not all, but some parts of London. Mm. Now, six years later, I think that's probably. You know that's changed, and and there's many more parts of the country where starter homes at four hundred fifty thousand pounds are, you know, not extravagant. Mm. Well, um, I think I read that that um, since twenty seventeen, uh, house prices have risen by thirty five percent. Yeah, and and the limit has not kept pace. So it it, it is increasingly uh, an issue, a limiting factor. And I know this is I know this is a limiting factor because I have had. I've had exactly this conversation with my son because I said that you know it helped my daughter get on the 
housing ladder. Well, I mean, literally just in the last few weeks, I had exactly that conversation with my son. And he was saying, you know, I'm not sure I really actually want to do this because, um, you know, the the first flat that I want to buy is actually going to cost me more than £450,000. Yeah. I mean, that begs the question about the insanity of the housing market. but (laughs) Totally does. Absolutely. um, Yeah. And, and look, the, in terms of this, feels like a change that might happen. Actually, a loosening of these rules. Mm. There are some high-profile uh, voices behind um, calling for a change. Martin Lewis, financial campaigner, telly money personality extraordinaire. He said that what the government should do is uh, where people are trying to use their money for purchases above four hundred and fifty. Uh, the penalty should not be 25%. It should be 20% so that, yes, you lose your bonus, but no more than that. That seems like a really, really reasonable change. Yep. And then from this point forward, you upscale that rate with um, all that that purchase price with, with house price inflation. Yeah, well, I'd actually go further than that. I'd, I'd say that, you know, actually they should uh, recognise the fact that for the last six years it has not risen. And I, sh- I think there should be a one-off increase yeah. I mean, let's say another hundred thousand to five hundred and fifty thousand. So whatever it is, I don't know what the figure is, but that would that would seem reasonable. Yeah, yeah. indeed, because because it's 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 not just making the thing work uh, as intended. It does risk becoming a very very unpopular yep. thing if if more and more people are being caught, and I think they are. If you look at the statistics, uh, lots of people are being caught by this. Mm. Um, it risks sort of undermining the whole intention. So I can see this being a change that they yeah, do. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, okay, so finally, in terms of the um, changes that are being reported, uh, we could see the end of one part of the ISA system altogether. And that is the innovative finance ISA. This is um, this is something which uh, the government launched several years ago. There was a great craze for what's known as peer-to-peer finance. Innovative finance ISAs would facilitate that and make the returns of it uh, tax-free. Um, but it hasn't really taken off. No, I mean, um, peer-to-peer lending has, has been a, a bit of a damp squib, um, um, partly because um, I think there were some fairly high-profile failures of the platforms that, uh, that yeah. facilitated this. Um, and also, I think that the returns available on peer-to-peer lending have not been significantly higher than you can get in a, in a regular bank account. So yeah. as a consequence, um, very few people actually... Um, put money into these innovative uh, ISAs. I mean, it's a t- I, I don't know what the numbers are, but it's a tiny fraction of the, you know, literally millions yeah, of Yeah, look, it's, it's an interesting sort of episode in, in kind of uh, sort of financial thinking. I think there was this idea, you know, I think it must have been sort of the mid-20-teens that, that this really sort of rose to prominence. 2016, they were. 2016. Yeah. Um, so at that time, really, really, really low interest rates. You couldn't get any kind of return on savings. Mm-hmm. There was this idea, banks were deeply, deeply unpopular. There was this idea that you could sort of have this sort of, this this system of peer-to-peer finance. I want to borrow money over here. Well, I want to return on my money over here. Mm. You could match these people up, cut out the kind of horrible banks in the middle, mm. and it would be sort of utopian and brilliant. Mm. Well, A, you were just inserting a kind of different financial model in the middle of that mm. because you have these peer-to-peer platforms mm. some of which as you say have failed mm. so that sort of undermines trust rates haven't been particularly good and now we've moved into a period where actually rates on cash are very very good mm. what what's the what's the point of all this mm. um i looked at statistics for uh you know how many of these things are being opened um i think seventeen thousand were opened last year 
innovative finance ISAs, like, well, several million ISAs overall are open. So it's yeah. really only a tiny it, thing. Yeah. It risks becoming a flop. Whether that means they get rid of it altogether, I don't know. Well, but, I suppose the alternative is that you just roll it into the mainstream uh, ISA uh, and say that, you know, this is this is one qualifying investment within a within an ISA. Maybe, maybe. It could be something that uh, that they do uh, go ahead with. Uh, next month, we got the autumn statement on the 22nd of November, I believe. Indeed. So um, we will keep an eye out for all of this. Uh, Tom, that is all the time we have for now. Thanks for joining me. Great. Thanks, Ed. Please note that the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. Investors should note that the views expressed may no longer be current and may have already been acted upon. This information is not a personal recommendation for any particular investment. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to one of Fidelity's advisors or an authorised financial advisor of your choice. Overseas investments will be affected by movements in currency exchange rates and investments in emerging markets can be more volatile than other more developed markets. Reference to the specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Tax treatment depends on individual circumstances and all tax rules may change in the future. Withdrawals from a pension product may not be possible until you reach age 55, 57 from 2028. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. No statements or representations made in this podcast are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipient. This podcast is meant only for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or a solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation.